So it is now 2.25 in the afternoon. I gotta open my notes, excuse me. 2.25 in the afternoon, I'm sure that every single one of you is excited for that 45 minute sermon that is about to follow. Am I right? This is your guys' favorite part? This is why you guys are here? No, that's okay. I will try not to be too long this morning. Thanks once again to everyone who came and visited and helped make today happen. It is, it's wonderful to see every single one of you here. We are in, well, not in the middle of anymore. We are finishing up a sermon series that I have entitled Crossroads. Crossroads because we are a church at a crossroads. We are standing with our back to our first century. We are facing our second. And our church faces a choice. Do we dive in to the mission that God has for us? Do we take it by the scruff of the neck and really seek to make disciples of all nations as our Lord has commanded us? Or do we choose to let that mission slip on by, choosing instead to try to rebuild the past? I appreciate Pastor Dave Brown's sermon this morning about crossing the Jordan River, building up a memorial to the past. Yes, remembering what God has done, absolutely. But passing through the waters to experience what's next. Our session for the last several months has spent time thinking and praying through what our church needs to be about going forward. And this is what we've come up with. It's on the back of your bulletin. I'm going to read it if you want to listen. Peace Presbyterian Church exists to make disciples who, by faith and by God's power, love God and love their neighbors. We do this by joyfully worshiping God on Sunday mornings and sometimes on Sunday afternoons, humbly growing together to Christian maturity, radically welcoming neighbors into our lives, and generously serving our community with our time and with our money. This sermon this morning is on generous service, and it really caps off a five-week sermon series called Crossroads, where we've talked through each one of these in the past. This morning, Excuse me, not this morning. I'm so used to saying that. This afternoon, we have generous service. I'm not preaching on radical hospitality, but I feel, I feel like I, I should mention this. We mentioned this this morning. There are two members of our church who are facing some pain today. Elaine Dolan, who many of you know, her brother passed away from cancer this past week. It was not unexpected. It was coming, um, but it's no less painful. Karen Lozon, another member of our body, her husband is, he had a stroke, he landed in the hospital, he's still in the hospital. Last week we talked about radical hospitality, excuse me, radical hospitality, radically welcoming other people into our body as a body of believers. I want to encourage this church before we go on and talk about generous service. This is a wonderful opportunity to show love to fellow members of our body. Reach out to Elaine this week. Reach out to Karen this week. Show them the love of God. At the very least, pray for them. Reach out to them. Ask how you can help. Ask how you can bless them. This is a beautiful opportunity. Because we as a body 
are united together. And one of the members of our body, two of the members of our body, are feeling pain this Sunday. So I encourage you to reach out to them, show some radical hospitality to them. That's not the sermon this afternoon, but I wanted to get that in. This afternoon, we are talking about generous service. If you are a member of this church, someone who's gone to this church for the past year as I've been preaching, you'll know, I hope, the four stages, the four acts in the story of the Bible. Does anybody remember them? What's the first one? Oh, you guys are, you guys are a dead crowd this afternoon. We had, we had too much lunch, maybe. I think Janet said it. Creation. Then we have the fall. Then we have redemption and restoration. If you're going to divide the Bible up into one story, because really the Bible is one story, even though it's written by a, a number of people you know, over a period of 1,500 years on different continents from different ways of life, the Bible tells one story and it is four acts. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. God created a perfect world, but Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They rejected his will for them. They ate of the fruit they weren't supposed to eat, so God cast them out of his presence. In Genesis 12, God came to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and bless all of your descendants and bless the world through you. God promised that through Abraham, the curse that Adam and Eve brought on the world would be undone. Blessing would fill the world instead through Abraham and through his family. And most of the Bible is the story of that redemption, of God bringing humanity to himself, coming down in the tabernacle so that the people of Israel could worship him, coming down in the person of Jesus Christ, living a perfect life, dying a death, not because he deserved it, but because we deserve it, rising again from the grave, literally and bodily, to bring us to God. And one day, we look forward until, that, until the time when that redemption is complete, when all things are restored. When God recreates the heavens and the earth into the new heavens and the new earth, and we live in a world free of pain, free of suffering, free of sin, and all things are as they should be. That is the story of the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We're in the middle of redemption right now. Jesus Christ has come. He started his kingdom, but it's not quite here yet. We still deal with pain and suffering and things going wrong. See, in the Garden of Eden, we don't always talk about all the trees that Adam and Eve could eat, right? We, we always focus on the one they weren't allowed to eat, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It had knowledge of good and evil fruit, whatever that looked like. Sometimes people like, picture it as an apple. probably wasn't an apple. We, we, you know, there's not really a parallel to that today. But sometimes we miss the fact that Adam and Eve could have eaten any tree, right? See, if I want to eat today, I've got to go out and I've got to work for it. I have the best job in the world as far as I'm concerned, but it's still work. I'm still tired after a long day. Adam and Eve, because they lived in a perfect world, they didn't have to go out and work hard for the food that they had. They just wandered through the garden. Apple tree, you want an apple? Go ahead, go pick it. Eat as much as you want. Oranges, great. Dates, great. I don't know if they had fruit that we don't have today, like they had a pumple schmerz tree or something like that. I have no idea. But they could wander through the garden and eat all that they wanted to. Hunger 
was not an issue for them. They lived in a place full of abundance. But that didn't last for long. When Adam and Eve sinned, when they rebelled against God, the Bible says God cursed the ground. The world stopped working like it was supposed to. See, they no longer were able to go through the garden and just, you know, eat of the fruit that they wanted to. They had to work for it. Adam had to go out. Adam had to go out and till the ground. He had to work at it in order to get grain to come up, in order to get fruit to come up. He had to put effort in. Because the simple things in life, even like eating food, are hard to do, sometimes not everybody gets fed. That's the reality of the world that we live in. Next week, we're going to be studying the, the book of Ruth. I would encourage all of you, if you don't have a church home, come back next week. We're going we're gonna to dive into that story. But as I've been studying that in preparation for it, it starts with a famine. Right? There, was, there was a period in the nation of Israel's history where the, the ground didn't bring forth the fruit like it was supposed to. There wasn't rain. The crops didn't come in. And so the people had risk of starving. And it wasn't any fault of their own. It was the fact that they lived in a fallen, broken world because Adam and Eve sinned. Sometimes the ground just doesn't work like it's supposed to. Sometimes people go hungry because we live in a broken, fallen world. There was abundance in the garden, but the fall, the fall brought scarcity along with sin. Sometimes things don't work as they were supposed to. Sometimes there's a famine and things don't work like they're supposed to. Sometimes people in positions of power kind of manipulate the levers of things so that the people who are on the outside aren't fed like they should. This is from the book of Amos, one of the prophets of the northern kingdom a few hundred years before, before the nation fell and went into captivity. Amos says this, he says, hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. You see, the people in this day, they were, they were kind of putting the thumb on the scales. They had false weights, depending on who showed up, they put different weights on the scale. And because of that, people were going hungry. So even though Adam and Eve lived in a world full of abundance, we live in a world where abundance isn't always there because sometimes the rain doesn't fall and the crops don't come up. Sometimes those who are in power put their thumb on the scales so that other people go hungry. That's the world that we live in. See, when Adam, and Eve, when Adam and Eve sinned and the fall happened, it wasn't just sin that came on the world, although that was certainly something that happened. That was the primary thing that happened. All of Adam and Eve's descendants are sinners. And each one of us in here needs Jesus. And I would encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, repent of your sins, turn to him, trust in his work to save you. But that wasn't the only thing that happened. Scarcity entered the world. And even as we look forward to freedom from our sin, we look forward to freedom 
from poverty, from hunger, from not knowing where our next meal is coming from. The prophet Isaiah, in, his, in, his, uh, in chapter 61 of his, of his prophecy, looks forward to a day when all will be made right. He looks forward to that restoration that's coming. One day, the new creation is going to be inaugurated in this world. One day, things are going to be recreated with Jesus as the new Adam. Things are finally going to be as they should. And as he prophesies about this, he writes the following. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Isaiah looks forward. There's going to be an anointed one, a Messiah who's going to come. And God's going to use this anointed one to save us from our sins, yes, but also to lift up the poor, the ones who have been afflicted, the ones who are oppressed, the ones who go hungry. Someone would come to fix it all. And when Jesus comes on the scene, when he preaches his first message in his hometown, this is the text that he reads from Isaiah 61. He says this in Luke 4, 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus announced that the kingdom that they had been waiting for is here. He said that day that we've been waiting for, that scripture is fulfilled and indeed, when we look at the work of Jesus, when we look at Jesus, what Jesus does, especially through the book of Luke, we see him doing this. Jesus goes to the ones who are poor, the widows, the orphans, the crippled, the lame, the beggars, the ones who are on the outside, the ones who, for one reason or another, can't provide for themselves. You see, back in that day, there wasn't any kind of welfare, or social security insurance. There wasn't anything like that. If you got hurt at work, you broke your leg, you couldn't work, well, you begged, you relied on a family member to provide for you, or you starved. If you were a widow back in that day, you didn't have a head of the household to provide for your needs, you begged, you prostituted yourself, or you starved. These are the ones who Jesus focuses his ministry on. He goes out to the weak. He goes out to the outsiders, healing the sick, raising widows' sons so the son can provide for her. 
We see that day that's coming breaks through into this world in the ministry of Jesus. He brings this day about. The kingdom comes to earth. It lands with Jesus and his ministry. The day that's coming started with Jesus. Which, if you're paying attention, begs the important question. If Jesus says today that scripture is fulfilled, why do we still have poor people? Why are there still people among us who can't afford to eat? Why are there still people who lose family members? Why is there still sickness and suffering in this world? That's a good question, and I don't have a solid answer for you. But what I do know is that the day is coming when everything that is wrong will be made right. But until that day, God has given us the responsibility of continuing the ministry of Jesus. See, Paul, in the book of Ephesians, in the book of 1 Corinthians, in the book of Romans, and a few other places, talks about how we are the body of Christ. He is the head. We are his body. We, as the Spirit works in and among us, we are the ones who are sent into the world on Jesus Christ's behalf to do good work in the world. To bring about the day that Jesus said started back in his ministry. To bring about the kingdom that Jesus started until the day that it comes in full. And believe me, brothers and sisters, it's coming. The day is coming when all poverty, all sickness, everything sad will come to an end. But until that day, it is our responsibility to go out into the world, to love our neighbors, to alleviate suffering, to tell them about the glorious salvation that's available in Jesus Christ. Our scripture reading that Andy read a few minutes ago deals with this. Allow me to read it again, if that's okay. James chapter 1, verses 19 through the end of the chapter. Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 22 is where I should have started. But be doers of the world, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself, and goes away, and immediately forgets what he looked like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, but forgets, but a doer who acts, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, excuse me, he will be blessed in his doing. Right? We all have mirrors at our house. At least I hope. Maybe there's somebody who doesn't. Maybe you're superstitious. I have no idea. But I, we're familiar with the concept of a mirror, right? And in the morning when you wake up, you look in the mirror to see if anything's askew. You check your hair if you have any. You see if there's anything out of place. You see if you've got anything, any food in your teeth. 
You check yourself out in the mirror because if there's something wrong, you want to be able to see it so you can fix it. It's kind of pointless if you wake up in the morning or you know, check before you walk out the door. It's kind of pointless if you look but don't do anything. If you look and you see, oh, my hair is askew, that's the great thing about being bald, is it just, I don't even have to worry about it. I just shave it off and we don't worry about it and it's beautiful. But if you notice your hair is askew, the point of looking in a mirror is so you can fix it. But if you look in the mirror and you see something's wrong and you say, huh, that looks terrible, and then you just walk away, you've just defeated the entire point of looking at all. James here says that hearing the word of God but not doing anything about it is the same thing. To hear the word of God proclaimed on a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon and to leave this building, to leave the presence of God, to leave these doors and not allow it to change your life. It's the same thing as looking in the mirror saying, that looks terrible, and then walking away. We are to be not just hearers, but doers. We are to be not just people who say yes and amen when I or whoever your pastor is preaches a sermon. We are to be people who go out into the world Monday through Saturday and live out the life that Jesus Christ has for us. We as his body, the ones who live and exist in this world, who are the kingdom of God until the kingdom of God comes in full. We are to go out and fulfill the mission of Jesus that he started on that day when he read the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor and the afflicted and the oppressed and the sinners. It's our job to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers. Verse number 26 in James 1. And th this, this always, every time I read this, it always feels really harsh to me. Like, I, James always puts it a little more strongly than I would ever put it. So I like to read James instead of saying it my own way. But this is what James says. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Ouch, that'll sting. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Just to note on, the, on the, you know, the translation here of the word visit, we hear the word visit and we think, oh, I'm going to go see them on Wednesday. I'm going to sit down with them and have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. And we're going to have a nice visit and then we're going to go home and God bless them. What the word visit means is to attend to their needs. To attend to the needs of the widows and orphans. To attend to the needs of the single mothers. To attend to the needs of the ones who don't have parents, don't have someone to love them. To attend to their needs. James says pure religion and undefiled is this. We're to flip that around. It means that if we are not meeting the needs of women and orphans, or widows and orphans, then our religion is defiled. We're just like people who look in the mirror 
and see, huh, I should fix my hair and then walk away. It's the same thing. We talk about joyful worship as one of our values. And that's one thing we do well. Right? We meet together. We hear the word of God preached. We, take of, we partake of the sacraments. Right? We took communion this morning. We sing hymns to God. We pray to God. But unless our lives out there match what we're hearing and saying and doing in here, then our religion is defiled. Like I said, harsh words. For the past several months, the session of our church has spent time in prayer considering how God would have us live this out. What does it mean to generously serve our community with our time and with our money? The answer that we came up with because we are a small church, we cannot do everything. We wish that we could do everything, but we can't. So we picked one ministry to dive into. Swartz Creek Community Schools has a backpack program. For those of you who aren't familiar with the backpack program, the kids in, in schools, you know, they go and they get, there's lunch at schools, and some kids are, uh, because of, because of you know, they're, where they're at with the poverty line, they're entitled to either a reduced price or free lunch. Some kids depend on that, right? And that's the world that we live in. Sometimes the rain doesn't fall and the crops don't come up. Sometimes there's a famine. Sometimes the ones who are wealthy and have, have influence over such things put their, put their thumb on the scale and oppress those who are worse off. But whatever the reason, there are people in our communities who need a reduced price or free lunch. But when they go home on the weekends, they don't get that. There's no school lunch on a Saturday or Sunday. So the backpack program sends kids home with a backpack full of food. And that's a ministry that we've been involved in in the past, and that's a ministry that we've continued to be involved in. I talked to the, the guy who works for the Swartz Creek Schools who are, is in charge of such things. And he told me that the, the school district is you know, looking to not fund it as much from the school district, right? They have to raise their own money. Beyond that, they told him, well, don't, you know, try to raise some money for this, but don't spend all your time on it. Have it be more of a side project for you to try to raise the amount of money that you guys need. They're looking to raise $10,000. That'll feed 100 bucks a kid. We'll feed that, you know, one child for the entire year. So if I'm doing my math right, they're looking for $10,000 to feed the 100 most needy kids in the Swartz Creek School District. They came to us, and they asked for $1,250. $1,250. $10,000 is not the max, it's not you know, gonna meet their need. They could probably realistically spend about twice that, $20,000 to feed all the kids who really need food in the Swartz Creek School area. So what I want to do, what our session wants to do, I should clarify that, is to raise twice what they asked us, $2,500. We want to see us raise that by Christmas. So for the next couple months, I'm going to encourage the members of this church to give generously, to generously serve our community, to fulfill the mission of Jesus 
to feed some kids who need it. $2,500 from 10 different households. I encourage you, members of Peace Presbyterian Church, consider what you can give and give generously. But for those of you who are here, who are not a part of this church, you're visiting from the Presbytery or the General Assembly, or you have your own church on Sunday morning, and praise God for that. But you're visiting, you say, well, you know, what are we going to do? Immediately after this sermon, I'm going to pray, we're going to have an offering. 100% of that offering, unless otherwise marked, if you forgot your tithe, go ahead and throw it in there, just make sure it's, you know, marked general fund. But everything that's in that offering plate that is unmarked is going to go directly to the backpack program. It's not going to go to us. It's not going to be used to, you know, try to, for me to try to raise my salary. It's not going to be used to keep the lights on. Nothing like that. Those are all good things. But it's going to go directly to the backpack program. There are other things that we could be doing, but we chose to do that one thing. So I encourage you, Peace Presbyterian Church, guests who have joined us, I encourage you to be generous. Not for the purpose of, you know, growing our coffers here at Peace Presbyterian Church, but to glorify God by continuing his mission as we seek to bless the world with the gifts that God has given us, our money and our time. May we, as a people, who have been redeemed by God, who know what it means to have our sins forgiven, who know what it means to be loved by God, not because we deserve it, but simply by the blood of Christ. May we go forth to love other people purely because of the blood of Jesus Christ. May we be the hands, legs, feet, and wallet of Jesus in our community. I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to ask Janet to come and play an offertory for us. And I'm going to ask the ushers to come and pass the plates. Will you pray with me? God Almighty, bless us and keep us. Lord, you have been so generous to us as a church. You have been faithful to us. You have blessed us. You have kept us. Lord, May we be your hands and feet in this world. Lord, may your kingdom come just a little bit more because of our generosity this morning. Lord, and for the next couple months, use us for your kingdom, O oh God. We pray all of these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen.